Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 439 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday evening, August 25th, 2022. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am coming to you from my home apartment in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I am joined, as always, by Donald Wine and Jason Evans. Jason, sir, good evening. How are you? Doing pretty well. I had something kind of exciting happen today. I went into an office. First time in two and a half years. <laughs> did you wear pants? I did. Yeah, I wore pants. I was not wearing my underwear, which is like uh, a rare, rare thing for me. And, wait, exactly. wait, and, how, wait, and how was wait. it? First TMI, but <laughs> some people wear underwear and pants to the office. Together. I, right. What I meant was usually I'm just kind of lounging around. I'm usually doing my work on computer honestly in my underwear or shorts but yes i wore pants today i was at uh, i was at the cnn center working for cnn today and yeah first time in two and a half years the office was sparsely attended what did you <laughs> not think? a lot of people <laughs> what did you think about work in person yeah it's almost like i'd done it for 30 years and, and completely forgotten wild i have i have so many thoughts about work but but this is not the what do we do about work podcast uh, Donald, how are you, sir? Did you put on pants today? Um, the pants I have on are lounge pants, so yes, I did put on pants, but they are of the lounge variety. Um, I, I don't, I don't have an office, so I work from home, which is great, or I work on the road from hotel rooms, as you guys know. So nothing, nothing extraordinary in my life, except that it's actually been very nice weather in DC lately. Excellent. Well, I have, I have a couple things I wanted to share personally before we get into all the various Duke basketball topics tonight the first uh shout out to all of my dark mode friends microsoft word on my computer at least went full dark mode today uh i don't know how that happened i don't know why but i'm very excited about it uh i also uh this week purchased a new mandolin it's the second time in the history of this podcast that i've purchased a new mandolin so we'll see how many more times that happens over the course of my life i don't expect to buy another one for a very long time, but that was cool. The third cool thing that's going on, it's actually next week, and it's actually debatable that it's cool, but most people, I think, are probably reading the news that it's cool. NASA is launching the Space Launch System rocket on Monday. This is cool. This is very uh, cool. It is yeah, cool unless, unless you don't believe that the government should spend many tens of billions of dollars building a rocket system that is... Uh, technically unnecessary in the pursuit of deep space exploration. I have uh, perhaps, I don't know if unique perspective, but I do have some behind the scenes perspective on this because I worked on this program for three years. And uh, I think it is a giant waste of money, but it's also extremely cool. So no, that that's the best, that's the best waste of money is the stuff that's cool. Also, uh, listeners out there cannot see this, but Jason and I do. Sam has a rocket uh, stash behind him. Uh, that we can see, which is tying into this theme of space flight. Yes. So uh, if you want to know more about my uh, deeply held opinions about SLS and the Artemis program, Orion, email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so now you know, if you email me, I will respond to you if you write about bluegrass music or if you write about rocketry. Uh, you're getting a response from me. You won't have to get hey, a two, hey, response. Hey, two-time Space Bowl champion at Space Camp. So if you uh, if you went to Space Camp, also email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We will talk about space 
in space flight. If you're if you're pro SLS, then I'm then I'm anti you, but I will engage at least in the in the conversation. Okay, guys, no real news this week, but that does not mean that we can't spend a lot of time talking about Duke basketball and related topics. So here's what we're gonna do. We'll cover a few sort of topical things actually after the break. The athletic put out a list of the uh, 40 under 40, which is pretty cool. Some Duke names that are on that list. Uh, the Big Ten signed a enormous new media deal. We got a few emails about that, so we need to touch on it a little bit. But we thought it would be a fun sort of we're nearing the end of the offseason topic today to discuss things that we would like to see John Shire do differently than Coach K under the new regime. We've talked a lot this summer and last year about how much we expect things to change or not change under the Shire regime. So we came up with a with a list of a few things that we'd like to see him do, and we were just going to bat them around. So Jason, I think, was the most uh, enthusiastic about us bringing this topic to you. So Jason, I know you want to talk about the way that John Shire will deploy his bench. Tell me what you think. So yeah, Sam, we're going to talk about uh, during, the, during this section, we're going to talk about four different things. We want to see John Shire do differently from Coach K. And the first one, I think, to some extent, is the most obvious. And that's the one I want to talk about first. And that is, I want to see John Shire make more use of the Duke bench. And I don't think folks out there need me to go on and on explaining this. It, it, it is pretty common knowledge. We've seen it at Duke over and over and over again over the years that Coach K really prefers to play I don't know, you can say six and a half, seven, maybe seven and a half guys. I think it's really six and a half or seven guys. And there's a very good reason that Coach K has always felt that way. He's felt, hey, if I've got five, six guys who are my best players, why wouldn't I want them on the floor all the time? And you know what? Mike Krzyzewski has forgotten more stuff about basketball than I will ever know. So it's hard to argue with. But on the other hand, I feel like there is a good case to be made for having your players be a little bit fresher. There's a good case to be made for, hey, you never know who's going to develop, who's going to turn into the player you didn't think they were. Look, we only need to go back a couple years. Justin Robinson never got a chance to play in Duke games. And when he suddenly got a chance to play, we found we had a player that was way better than we expected. And who knows how many other guys have been like that on the Duke bench over the years where they just weren't given many chances. And when they were given chances, they were afraid of messing up and being sent back to the bench and being put in purgatory and never getting a chance to play again. And if you're on a team, I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying we need to become Florida State where even great players struggle to play more than 20 minutes and where Leonard Hamilton plays 11 guys almost every game. But I would love to see John Shire, see if he can find eight, nine, maybe 10 you know, like eight or nine guys getting 10 plus minutes a game. And maybe there's another guy who gets even a couple more. I think it'll make the team fresher. I think it'll keep guys happier, which may lead to guys sticking around a little bit longer as opposed to transferring. And I think it allows you as a team to try different combinations, to throw different things at opponents. And look, and, I, and, and I'm not saying all eight or nine of those guys need to be in consideration for the very end of the game, final five minutes, but in the first half, early in the second half, I want to see John Shire using more of his bench. We have a loaded team this year. Let's take advantage of it. One of the things that Coach K really emphasized, I think, Jason, on this topic was trying to win every game. He was he was trying to get to the ideal lineup as quickly as possible during the year, which is why 
The practices over the summer were hard, which is why guys were going at each other so hard in the fall and why in the spring you would occasionally have guys who were kind of checked out from the team. And in recent years, I think more transfers. So there's an argument there that playing a deeper bench also keeps more of the players engaged. The downside to it is you don't, uh, you don't emphasize the stars as much. There was a few years ago where Kentucky had that team where they were like subbing five guys out every time and people made fun of them about 20, that. It was 2015. Right. And, Everyone and, thought they were the best team in the land. They did not win the title. And so so you you run that risk is that people are like, I don't understand. You have Derek Lively. Why is he only playing 22 minutes a game or something like that? Uh, the other thing that you risk there relative to the Coach K method is you probably lose more games. The 2015 Kentucky team, notwithstanding, if you're playing, potentially, if you're playing less talented guys, more minutes, there are, there's more time on the floor for the other team to take advantage of that. And there may be times when you sort of deployed the wrong strategy. So I, I think regardless of the way John Shire coaches, it's it's unlikely that he wins as many games as Coach K does. But I like your idea, though, about him tinkering a little bit more and about him using different combos because it'll be more interesting, I think, for Duke fans to watch. Interesting enough, I think that 2015 team is the one where uh, for for Kentucky's where Cal basically at the last home game said, all these guys are growing pro. Everyone give them a round of applause. And none of the guys had actually declared yet or had made that decision yet. Uh, so he kind of was like, I have five recruits coming in. These guys are leaving. Uh, and they were kind of like, uh, OK, I guess. Uh, but back to Jason's point, I, I think the one thing I want from the depth part is confidence and confidence comes from being having your number called and knowing that it's going to be called and being ready to answer that bell. Right. So it doesn't necessarily mean, Hey, you know, Jason, get ready to go in the game because you're going to play for 10 minutes. It could be Jason, Sam is in foul trouble and now we need you. But if you haven't played all year, you don't have that confidence that you can be the guy to hold the fort down until the other person goes back into the game. I want everyone to kind of get that experience in the beginning of the year. And yes, it may lead to, you know, some tough moments or some difficult stretches, but it's about learning how to, you know, rough, you know, smooth those rough edges before March. I I don't care if we're not the best basketball team in the land in November. We all want to be the best team in the land at first Monday in April. And I think do it by doing that. Everyone on the team, obviously there's a lot of factors into winning national championship. Confidence is one of them. And I think by having some good depth, and it doesn't have to be 10 or 11 guys, it could be nine or 10. But if you have everyone playing with confidence, then it doesn't matter who's on the floor or when someone's name is called. Everyone understands the role, everyone executes, and we're playing very well as a team. Look, look my, my last word on this is uh, I can barely remember. I, is it maybe Javin Delor? I'm trying to think of a recruit outside of the top 30 who has turned into a really significant player at Duke. And it, it it doesn't happen very often. And a lot of that is because we always have top 25 guys who are playing all the minutes. It, it And like I said, I don't, is it Jack, and Delora, Jack White, I guess. Yeah, Jack White is a good one. But, but you know, how much did Jack White impact the program? Um, I, I, I want to see a Jaden shoot have a chance to become a great ball player at Duke. I think Jalen Blakes may have a chance at some point to become a significant part of this program. It's not going to happen unless 
they're willing to stick around a long time like a Jordan Goldwire was, or unless they start to get some playing time earlier in their career. So that's that's where I am on it. And I, I hope it's something that Shire does a little bit differently. Donald, you wanted to bring up uh, a key point about scheduling that you wanted to see from John Shire. What's that? Yeah, so I think what I'd like to see, I guess, you know, he do differently is to not shy away from scheduling challenges or opportunities to take the team abroad. And I say that not saying, you know, that Coach K did not, you know, take advantage of us going abroad because we did go abroad, especially down the, you know, in the later years when that was the thing that you can do every few years. You know, we went to Canada. I believe we went to, uh, was it Israel or somewhere? We went somewhere in Europe, I want to say. Um, but Canada, that Canada trip, that Canada trip was a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was the 2019 team. And we got to see, you know, Zion and RJ and, and Cam really ball out for the first time very, very early on. I think that's why a lot of people were able to endear themselves to those guys well before the season started. But the scheduling challenges I mentioned are, hey, you know, if a team's like, hey, come play us at our house, we'll come to Cameron, do it. I'm not saying line up a murderer's row of non-conference opponents, but again, we shouldn't shy away from some of these challenges, even in the, you know, ACC Big Ten Challenge, like, you know, it should be where we go, hey, we want the top teams, we want the best teams, we want to tell people Right, after, We want to challenge ourselves against some of the best talent in college basketball, some of the best teams in college basketball. Maybe it's one of the more experienced teams, like in the case of this year's team where we, you know, our, our main starters aren't going to be that experienced. They may be freshmen or sophomores minus Jeremy Roach. Maybe we schedule a team that has a lot of experience. We can get that, you know, exposure before the NCAA tournament. Again, all of my madness leads to being ready for whatever may come your way in the NCAA tournament. We face experienced teams. We face big teams. We face small teams. We face really good teams and we need to be prepared to play them all. So my, I'm have a minor pushback on this one. And, and I will freely say every time the non-conference schedule comes out, or as we start to get leaks and, and information about it, everybody gets so excited. Yeah. Look last year, the Gonzaga game, we, you know, we have these games where, we hear about them and, and everybody's real this year, the, the PK 80, 80, 85, whatever it is tournament. I mean, look, we're, we're all geeked for these big time matchups. Here's the thing. I, two points about this. One is Duke is almost always very young. Duke is always bringing in freshman studs who do need some tune up. They need to adjust to the college game a little bit. And I, look, I, I kind of like the fact that the, that the tip-off classic isn't going to be the opening game of the season this year. And, and it looks like over the next few years, they're, you know, they've moved it back a little bit. It'll be like the, the third game of the season. I kind of like that because the, these guys need a chance to adjust to college basketball. That's number one. Number two is I don't want John Shire to forget that Duke is Duke. Now, I don't think he will. But what I mean by that is we're the big boy. We're the most important program in the entire sport. And Donald, I'm not saying we should shy away from playing home and home with teams, but I want us to be selective and I want everyone to understand and know Duke is a big, big deal. And we're not just going to take any team that comes and says, hey, let's play a home and home. In fact, a lot of time, if you're not a big enough deal, we're going to say, yeah, we'll play you at home. But on the return visit, we're going to play in Chicago or we're going to play in Madison Square Garden or we're going to play in wherever it may be. Big, big arena because we're a big deal. 
and I don't want John Shire to forget that in scheduling. I, I don't think he will, but that's my mild, mild pushback on what you have to say. Uh, and I agree with all of that, right? Like I, again, we don't need to line up a murderer's row. We're playing the best teams in, in the, you know, the top 15 as our non-conference schedule and saying, so be it. And I agree with you also with like having young players and giving them that opportunity to, you know, get their feet wet, so to speak in college basketball, get a, a little bit of exposure, get their legs under them. But I do think, you know, the Arizona series, for example, is a really good thing because one, it energizes our fans. We haven't played Arizona in a very long time in a, in a non-conference setting. We've played them a couple of times, you know, in the last like 12 years in the NCAA tournament, but we haven't, I mean, we, we also very rarely go to other places. And honestly, it, even if it's, you know, going to the West coast, we rarely do that except for this year. We're going to PK five last year. We went to uh, Vegas, but that's a rare anomaly, right? It's only usually when we play in the NCAA tournament and we get pushed out West that we usually play there. So even, you know, playing a UCLA, for example, UCLA may not be the best team in a couple of years, but it gives us, you know, a, a different look, a team that we could see and also exposes our players to travel and all these little detailed elements that, again, will help them in their in their preparation as a college student, a student athlete for the NCAA tournament down the line. So I, I agree with you on all those things. I think there, you know, again, we can pick and choose, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we're going to end up with zero. I think every year we should have something that we go, Hey, this is going to challenge us in a unique way, but it's going to give our guys the tools that we need to succeed down the road. I would trade all the Stephen F Austin games for interesting non-conference games. Well, yeah, we lost to Stephen F Austin. I trade that for any game. Fine. I'll <laughs> trade. I'll trade the Delaware state. I'll, you name the non-conference opponent. Who's, uh, home city. I am not immediately pulling off the top of my head. I'll trade every single one of those games. So I'm I'm totally in for that, guys. I wanted to talk about uh, another. I don't know if it's a change necessarily that John Shire needs to make now because it's sort of already been happening over the last few years. But I would like to continue to see the program be more open with its fans and and with the media. I think there was a relation that Coach K had 15 ish years ago that. Duke was like completely walled off. And then they started doing Blue Planet. They started doing the videos and all this stuff. And I love that that happens. And I hope that they keep doing it. I saw that it was it was either John Shire's birthday or his kid's birthday, or maybe it was both of their birthdays this week. So they did a, they did some fun videos about that. I think that stuff is all great. So cute. It's so super cute. fun. So I, I it's not a change. I would like to see John Shire continue to lean into stuff like that. Keep doing stuff in the community. Keep doing stuff you know, for, for Duke fans around the world to, to continue engaging with people. And what I really look forward to is the day when I say that that is all stupid and that I want them to pull back from it. Uh, Cause that'll mean that I have become old. Yeah. I, I think part of it is not necessarily for me, when someone says be more open and more transparent, we think of it. Uh, most people think of it first off in a negative way, as if they're saying there's something to hide. And I don't think that's what you're saying, Sam, but I think having us again having an open look at what it's like to be a duke basketball player what these players are like their characters like what what do you know do they like music i i loved when they did it even during covid when they did the videos and they went to each other's rooms and they basically did a duke cribs of sorts and they're talking about what shoes they like and you know what jerseys they have in their closet what music they listen to because it, it again it will connect them to fans and get us to know especially if we're getting you know younger and younger it'll help us connect to these players quicker 
especially over the summer. And we go, and when we get there, we go, I, I think they did a great job this year at hyping up Tyrese Proctor. Tyrese Proctor just got to campus this week. In previous years, we wouldn't have heard about Tyrese Proctor getting to campus until this week. But we've had so many videos and clips and things about him that people are already excited. Hey, he's finally on campus. Now we can get to work. Sam, I'll say that the thing that I want to see differently about this is a bit more access to the head coach. Mike Krzyzewski was sort of notoriously prickly with the media and not super friendly with the media. Um, I think John Shire is going to be different about that. Um, you know, partially because he has isn't jaded by 40 plus years of doing it. But but that's something I really look forward to as as folks who ostensibly cover the team. I think it'd be really great if if the hierarchy of Duke basketball wasn't siloed up there in their own tower um, to only rarely come out. All right. We have one more thing we would like to see John Shire do with Duke basketball, and then we are going to take a break after that. So, Jason, this sort of comes off of a conversation that we had part of the conversation that we had with Ken Pomeroy last week. We talked a little bit about Duke's uh, three point shooting strategy through the years. What do you think about John Shire's approach to the three pointer? Yeah, I will. I will be very blunt. I think that Mike Krzyzewski did not early in his career. He was revolutionary about understanding the value of the three pointer. I think that Duke has gotten away from that in recent years. And I really want John Shire to turn Duke back into a team that shoots a ton of three-pointers. Gentlemen, if we go back to 2001, the Duke Blue Devils took almost 42% of their shots from three. They had the 11th most three-point field goal attempts in terms of a percentage of shots of any team in the country. And that was something that continued for quite a while. I'm going to give you the numbers over the past few years. Last year, Duke was 250th. Sorry, 230th. I couldn't read my own handwriting. We were 230th in the number of three-pointers we took in our three-point percentage, uh, uh, three-point attempt percentage. The year before that, 152nd. The year before that, 301st, 209th, 194th. You can't find a year where Duke was among the top 150 in terms of the number of three-pointers we took until you go back to 2017. This is a team... Duke is best when they are shooting a ton of three-pointers. I, I I just think that that's the way the game has gone. And I really want John Shire to get back to doing that with the Blue Devil teams. I think you can see it a little bit from the guys he's recruited, both this year and moving forward. Um, and I, I just hope we see it on the floor as, you know, as part of the game plan, in addition to being the guys he's recruited. If, if I'm telling you, if Duke is one, if Duke is one of the top 50 teams in the country this year in three-point field goals attempted, that will be a very, very good thing. And by the way, last year when we were 230th, we were the 37th best team in the country at shooting threes. We were a great three-point shooting team. Thank you, AJ Griffin. And we didn't shoot a ton of threes. You know, I, I get that sometimes you don't want to take them because they aren't a good shot, and one of the reasons you shoot better is because you take good shots. But man, I just want to see this team bombing away a little bit more. So I the slight pushback I'll give this is if you look at the numbers, especially over the last like 12 years, going back to 2010, I know you mentioned 2010 and, and 2001. Um, 
we actually, when you look at the percentages, not the, the ranking, but the percentages, we actually matched or exceeded those percentages in several years. I mean, the, the best shooting percentage we had uh, was 2013 from three. We shot 39.9% from three, right? And, and we were 162nd in the number of threes per uh, per per total that we took. Their three-point average was 33.3%. But you mentioned that in 2001, that was the most we've had over the last like 20 years, I want to say. The three-point average percentage was 41.8%. That was 85th in the country then. That would have been 91st in the country last year. It's because more people are taking more threes. The number one team in the country with that percentage was VMI. They shot almost over 54%. 54% of their shots were three-point attempts. And so I think for us to to... I think I would rather have the percentages go up because even if we're more efficient, then we're still doing it. But I agree. I, I want to see more threes, but I want to see us make more threes. I think that's the key is when we became a volume shooting team from three over the last few years, that's when our three point percentage went down. When we were more efficient and taking our shots, more open looks, that's when our uh, three point percentage went up. And I'd rather have fewer made threes than a bunch of missed threes. Like, I think that's kind of the idea. Just really quick, I'll, I'll disagree with you. I would, I would rather, I would sacrifice a couple percentage points in our three point made percentage if it meant that we were shooting more threes. And I think the the analytics folks would tell you that that is the sacrifice you should make because three points are worth more than two points. And yet, Duke has managed to continue to be one of the best teams in college basketball, almost without fail through all of this. And, and I think there is. As much as he was, you know, old <laughs> at the end of his career, Coach K, in a way, always felt like he was half a step ahead of most of the competition in terms of game planning. And there was, I, I think when we look back, we'll realize that there was something going on there where he always kind of knew what was happening. Look, Duke didn't win every game. They certainly didn't go to the Final Four as often in Coach K's last 15 years as they did in his first 15 years. But... There was something about what Coach K seemed to know at every turn. And and when teams are catching up on the analytics, Coach K is going to change the paradigm. So to me, uh, there's something about just being able to think independently of the trends that, that helped him distinguish himself through a few different phases of his career. I will say really quickly, when we had a couple of those years where we were shooting very well from three and taking a lot of threes, we didn't have people in the paint like Zion Williamson or Mark Williams who were going like 67, 68, 70% from two. And remember, the analytics basically now are take a three-pointer or take something within like five feet. And we're very, very good at stuff within five feet. It's just that we need to, you know, maybe if we're if we're a touch better from beyond the arc, it puts less, it puts more pressure on defenses because again, the two biggest best places for us to shoot. We're excelling at both of them. We're just not taking enough shots to make it happen on both ends. Guys, how often last year was I obsessed with mid-range jumpers and not taking mid-range jumpers? And I can already, t- I already know for a fact that Jeremy Roach and Dariq Whitehead are going to drive me crazy this year. <laughs> I'm resigned <laughs> to this. <laughs> it's always you have to basically. It's like almost as a stat game of like who's gonna who's gonna annoy you the most by taking mid-range jumpers. Last year. It was probably Paulo Bancaro. Mark Williams started to do it, but he started making him. So it was like, okay, we'll give you a pass. But it's always one every year that's going to frustrate you. It was Paulo and, and Trevor Keels. Both Trevor of them Keels, took yeah. too many of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I, I don't think that the mid-range game is ever entirely going to go away because as a lot of NBA players have have found, even if it's a lower percentage shot, there are opportunities to to catch the defense napping and for you to get a good mid-range or or slightly farther than than you know immediate range two-pointer to to stretch the defense a bit. All right. And and I and I get by the way the the threat of the mid-range is what allows you to go around guys and get layups and it's what allows you to get step back threes and you know yes, I I understand it. But I still from an analytic standpoint it drives me crazy. It's the it's the Jordan effect. Jordan was was a masterclass at the at the mid-range jumper and that's why people still think he's And Kobe. And Kobe. And yep, now everybody absolutely. likes to hate on Carmelo Anthony, and he takes a lot of mid-range and, and long twos. So uh, the, the the times evolve. All right, guys, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we are going to cover a bit of the news. Uh, some Dukies made the Athletics 40 under 40 list. Kara Lawson snagged a big, big, big-time recruit, and the Big Ten has a big, 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 big. I don't know how many bigs that was. Real big. I was going, I was going for 10. Uh, real big new TV deal. Stick around. We are back from the break, and I want to start with Kara Lawson, the head coach of Duke women's basketball. Snagged a big-time recruit this week, Donald. I want you to tell us about it. Yeah, her name is Jaden Donovan, and she's the number three recruit in the country. And over Notre Dame, North Carolina, Arizona, UCLA, and Tennessee, a lot of big-time programs on that list that wanted her, but she ended up going going to Duke and committing to Duke. Carol Lawson, that's, I mean, at, at this point, it is her biggest so far, her biggest recruit grab uh, so far in her short tenure as Duke women's basketball head coach. But this is a great step for this program. She's already been killing it on the transfer portal. And now she's killing it on the recruiting show. I mean, it's not like she wasn't before, but this is a huge deal because you're you're grabbing players that, you know, teams like UConn and South Carolina and the other really big college women's basketball programs are getting to nag to snag. That means that other people are going to be like, huh, Kara must have something brewing down there in Durham. And I want to check it out too. big recruits, only recruit big recruits. And I think this is going to be a big deal. I will point out, and this is, something we we're going to discuss a little bit, but I, I think it's important. The college women's basketball game is growing so much and the, in t- the intensity of recruiting is heating up. I mean, they just announced the other day that the national title game for the women will be on ABC this, this upcoming season and next year. That's a huge deal. I mean, ESPN was already a, a, big, a big deal in, in essence, but to be on ABC network TV the night before the national championship is also a network TV on CBS. That is a huge deal. So I really commend the Insider Life for finally doing that and getting it to move over to ABC. But because of that, the eyes of a lot of more people are going to be on women's basketball. And Kara Loss is trying to build here herself a program. And she's, again, done it through the transfer portal. Now she's trying to get the next generation. And Jane Donovan is one of those players that is supposed to be the real deal and cannot wait to see her in a Duke uniform. Yeah, really quick on Jaden. One of the nice things I like is that she's played a lot of this like all-star Team USA kind of basketball stuff. She is good friends with a lot of the other top-tier recruits out there. And and she said, hey, I'm going to try and I'm going to explain to them, Kara's the future. Come here, come to Duke. This is where you want to be. 
And then the other thing is, Donald, do you know where she goes to high school? Do you know where she plays her high school ball? Where? Sidwell Friends, right there in Washington, D.C., where the Obama this. girls went to school. Yeah. So yeah. shout so out. Right shout in your, out. In your backyard, man. Just down the street, uh, my homeboy's son actually just transferred to Sidwell. They, I mean, their women's team is incredible. Um, if you've seen them on TV, they're incredible. Well, they, have the, team they have the number three player in the class. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It'll happen. Yeah. It's it's gonna be fun. Uh, I, I love this. This is uh this is awesome stuff. There there will perhaps come a point where we do have to just cover Duke women's basketball regularly on this program. And uh I look forward, forward to it. Yeah, I look forward to being happen. forced into that day. So that that is what I will say about that. Uh all right. Let me move on to another to another cool thing, uh Duke related thing. So the athletic put out a list of its 40 under 40 people in college sports uh this week. So it was a it, it's a hodgepodge kind of list of coaches and staff members and media people. There are definitely some names on it that uh casual college sports fans will recognize. My favorite uh name that I always hear on TV, but that I and then I'm like, oh right, that guy is Robbie Hummel, who is on the Big Ten network and is a rising media star and three, also three X three team too. And and lost to Duke in the NCAA tournament, I believe. As a at Purdue, yeah. Did he lose to mm-hmm. Did he lose Duke in the tournament? I know we beat them during the regular season. Yeah, uh, I, I don't recall playing them the tournament. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't recall. Maybe playing we them did in the tournament. Anyway, I can look this up he, while we're talking. He was in school for like 15 years, so it's three possible. Duke guys, three Duke people. I shouldn't say guys. Three Duke people made this list. Duke new head head men's basketball coach John Shire, Duke czar of NIL and and general marketing. Uh, Rachel Baker and Duke football alumnus Zach Moritas, co-founder of Teamworks. So, Donald, I know you were excited about all of these selections, but uh, give me your reaction to all these Duke people being in the 40 under 40. Look, 40 under 40 means there's 40 of them, like four zero and in the, all of college sports. Hey, Donald, are you sure about that? Are you sure that 40 means that there are 40 of them? It, it, hey, <laughs> 40, you can drink, you can drink 40 ounces of water or you could, you know, have 40 people, but 40 is 40. You can and drink 40 ounces this of is, water. That's, that's what I've been doing this whole time right here. Just been doing it. But this I, is the kind this is the kind of crack shot analysis that you can get on the DBR podcast that shot, you can't get it. anywhere else. <laughs> 40. Donald will tell you 40 is 40. Hey, I can math. All right. 40 equals 40. Um, but, but to have, again, this is across every college in America. There's thousands of colleges in America for Duke to have three people land on this list is incredible. Uh, I think people need to understand the scope of that because I mean, John Shire, you know, Rachel Baker, and also Zach Maritas having her Duke football. And again, this is a nice step for, you know, Mike Elko to share. This is something that, you know, you can go all the way back to Carl Franks because that's when Zach Maritas was on the team called the Carl Franks era. And the Ted Roof era of, of football at Duke, these are these are wins that we can take and go. Hey, you will be someone when you leave here. You can be like Zach Marius and be a top forty under forty. Like that is an incredible thing to be able to say for a program. But we get to do it for three people. I think that's awesome um, that Duke was able to land it. And congratulations to all three of them. The the comment I wanted to make. The reason I thought it was worth talking about. Uh, you know, hey, great for Zach. Great for John. To me, Rachel Baker is both the the surprising and the really interesting one to be included on this list. And I say surprising because 
there, there's a lot going on in NIL, but for the athletic to sort of say, Hey, here's the person who's, you know, leading the way to some extent from the, from the standpoint of a program, a university, um, actually just, just a program. That's really, cause her, her focus is exclusively Duke men's basketball. And, and for her to be this, you know, major figure in the NIL world and to be developing ties and developing opportunities for players, this is a really, really big deal. And uh, for the athletic to note that and, and put it out there for the whole world to see, they're essentially saying Rachel Baker is, you know, the best NIL person at, at any school right now. And that's huge for Duke. Also, what's incredible about that, she has been in college athletics for all of like four months because before that, exactly, she was at the NBA. So like literally and, and she's Nike. been at Duke for like four months. And Nike, yeah. But before yeah. that, she'd been at Duke for all of like four or five months and she's already a top 40, under 40 in college athletics. Incredible. Yeah, when, when all the NIL stuff changed so rapidly last year, I remember thinking, like, how's how's Duke going to deal with this, and and what's going to be the best way to go about it, and how are all the programs going to deal with it, and the way, at least initially, that that Duke has approached this, with having the guys like take sponsorships and stuff, but but make it feel pretty, um, you know, pretty buttoned up, and having now having Rachel Baker in the fold to kind of direct traffic there for the players seems like absolutely the right move because. You want the players to feel like the program has their back when it comes to this stuff. Cause I am sure we're going to hear stories about players who like had a photo shoot, but they also had practice and the program wasn't talking to their manager that was coordinating the photo shoot. And so now the player has to miss practice or the player missed a couple exams and now they accidentally failed out of a semester and they're under some kind of probation or whatever sort of silly thing is going to get in the way of them being on the field or on the court. And it, it's extremely cool that, that Duke has Rachel Baker there. I I think that it's awesome that Zach Moritas is on this list uh, as built one of the coolest uh, companies related to sports management at, in the last few years and has a, a ton of, uh, of awesome clients from professional sports teams to college programs. So pretty cool that he's doing that. And of course that, that John Shire is on this list. Hopefully he, uh, he continues to be a rising star in college athletics. All right. One more hodgepodge type topic. Look, I don't know how much more we need to say about the media rights and, and all of this, but the big 10 signed a big, 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 big deal, big, big media rights deal to stream big 10 uh, games coming up. It doesn't last very long. It's only a few years, but we got emails about this. Jason, can you just start breaking this down for us and tell me like what, what do Duke fans really need to know about this? Because I think there's a lot you can read into it about future realignment and the kind of money that's going to flow into these programs. But what do we need to think and know about this? So the deal is a billion dollars a year for the Big Ten's media rights. And and it moved, by the way, it moves the Big Ten away from ESPN. The, the deal was signed with Fox Sports and a couple other folks. NBC, I think. I'm trying. I don't remember and all the details. Fox, exactly. CBS, NBC. So Fox will have the noon game. CBS will have the 330 game. NBC slash Peacock will have the primetime game. Right. And, and, and you're talking about football. 
even though their basketball exists, but football is what this is obviously all about. And, and there are a lot of questions about what this means for Big Ten basketball uh, and it being televised by ESPN. There's talk that they may sub-license some Big Ten basketball games to, to ESPN. There are questions about whether the ACC Big Ten challenge will survive and will continue to be a, a thing that can be done because it is something that was broadcast by ESPN and, and was contracted through ESPN. All that aside, I, I think that I think that this to some extent hastens the death of the ACC. I know that I've been one to kind of waffle on that and and look, there may be something that comes up in the next couple of weeks that changes my mind, but at the moment, that's just too much money. Uh, the, the the amount of money that the Big Ten programs are going to make is going to a put them on a non-competitive platform compared to ACC programs. The Big Ten is going to have, pardon my French, fu money. They can they can mess around and not box really shot uniform air. money. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they they. They're they're over the course of time. This is going to impact their facilities. It's going to impact what they can pay their coaches. It's going to have in in a trickle down kind of way. I think it will impact their the NIL deals that can be provided to players. It's it, it, it stretches to everything, and it's not just football, and it's not just basketball. It's going to be to to other sports as well. And I expect the SEC will join them in a contract of this size. It is so much bigger. Their payouts are going to be so much larger than anything that the ACC, the Big 12, the PAC, whatever you want to call it, and everybody else gets, that it puts them on a massively different playing field. So on the one hand, I think it makes it really hard for ACC teams to continue to compete. And on the other hand, I think that it's an it's getting to be enough money that if they really want a Clemson, a North Carolina, a Miami, I don't know who the schools are, maybe Duke, I don't know. I don't know who the schools are, but if they really want someone, it's reaching the point where the money is so great that I think teams are going to be willing to break the ACC's grant of rights to take legal action and other stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We've reached the point, I think, where the money's so huge that the ACC can't resist this much longer. I think for me, it I don't think that the ACC is dead yet, but I do think they need to get into a room and start talking, right? They need to start figuring out what it is they need to do to kind of keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Because bear in mind this, right? Keep this in perspective. Hey, hey Donald, wait, wait, really quick. Can I jump in? And, what can they do? Because you say get into a room. Any discussion they have has to involve breaking that grant of rights. You know, they can't just unilaterally go, oh, we're going to get rid of it. I mean, they have to work with ESPN. I'm not sure ESPN will let them out of the grant of rights. I, I don't, I can't, I've tried to think about this. I, and look, I was the guy who was saying, let's get creative. Let's find streaming things. Let's find other ways to generate revenue. Yes, they need to think about that stuff. We've reached the point where the the football contract for the Big Ten, the SEC, just dwarfs all this other stuff. I don't know that there's anything they can get in a room and fix. Here, here, Here's my point with that, okay? Let's go back to 2007, 15 years ago. There was only like three or four college programs in America, and I say college programs, that includes all of it, that grossed a hundred million dollars in a year it was like ohio state michigan texas maybe penn state on on a given year but that's it now starting in 2024 or what it is 2023 rutgers will make a hundred million dollars a year off of their tv deal 
that would like that kind of money was unfathomable. Well, not if it's for it. Donald, not if it's a billion dollars a year split across 16. Yeah, yeah, it's more like it's not 16. Put it, put it aside, okay? Right? Like it's still 80, it's crazy money. It's twice look, what you make in the ACC. Because the, here's twice. the thing: the the payments are going to be escalated as people in, as UCLA and in USC enter the conference. And UCLA, you know, they're still having their issues with leaving the Pac-12. But it, it, like in essence, all of these teams are making what was unfathomable for all but maybe two or three college programs in a given year through their TV deal. So I don't think that that's all the money. Because ESPN again was left out of this. I know they've paid a lot to the SEC, but there's still money on the table. And I, I think it is I, again. I say get in a room. I don't know what it is they could do, but we can't say that there's nothing to be done because the ACC is full of some of the brightest schools on the planet. There are a ton of people that are in the same profession as myself, that is attorney, that can figure out a way to get this moving. But they have to start doing it now because if they don't, Jason, that is when they start entering more peril day after day if they don't figure out a way. And I'm not saying figure it out tomorrow, but they definitely need to start thinking about what they need to do to keep up with the SEC and now the Big Ten. I mean, the Big Ten is making more money than the NHL is in a year. Like, that's crazy, right? Like, that's, again, unfathomable. That's something Big we Ten football is more popular than the NHL. That's true, but that's also something we Ain't didn't even think close. was going to happen. Ain't even close. But it wasn't something that we thought would ever happen. That was never in the minds of people because, again, when Michigan football would, you know, their big house was the big house for a reason. The big house would, I mean, they'd gross $100 million in a year based off ticket sales and parking. And they didn't even have to sell beer until 2014. Like, that is something that in their minds, they're like, hey, they'll never get, no one's ever going to get more money than us. And now... This arms race that's kind of been built up through these TV deals and through this conference realignment is leading to where Rutgers is going to be making more money than all but like 14 colleges in America. That is something that makes me want to say, ACC, we can do better than what we're doing right now. And don't tell me that we can't. And don't tell me that time has run out because time hasn't yet run out. But they need to start talking about what it is they need to do to get done. I don't have that answer on this show. Uh, and I don't know if, if anyone else has that answer. DBRpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, but I do think that that's something they need to start talking about now. Because next year, the year after that, when this conference realignment actually happens and the money actually starts flowing in, it'll be too late. What I wonder in all of this, where the SEC and the Big Ten talk about continued expansion is that at a certain point, these programs that are talking about adding on the West Coast, Stanford, Washington, Oregon, Cal, on the East Coast, like from the ACC, they're talking about Virginia Tech, Miami, Florida State, Clemson. How many of these programs are actually raising the bar in terms of like average eyeballs that are coming from viewers that would make the contracts more valuable? Because if we, as we've talked about, it's about the number of people that are tuning into your games. And I know that Miami from everywhere, TV. not just regionalized too. everywhere. Because it used to be where it was regionalized. It's I just mean, like, everywhere. Right. Everywhere. So, yeah. How many Miami football fans are tuning in? How many Clemson football fans are tuning in? And, and by the way, they are thinking not just about Clemson in its current state under Dabo Swinney, because 10, 12, 15 years ago, Clemson was not what Clemson is today. Maybe 15. You have to go back 15 years because Dabo's been yeah, they, building. They this were thing for, for a while, while. Then they weren't. And then they now they are again. 
how how valuable today are are some of the like if the Big Ten could start over, like if let's say Ohio State could start over and make a conference out of anyone that's not in the SEC today, half the teams in the Big Ten wouldn't be or close to half of the Big Ten teams wouldn't be in that conference. Rutgers ain't no, wouldn't ain't be no in way. that conference. Rutgers, Rutgers, Northwestern, you can go on Maryland, Purdue, a lot of them. A lot yeah, of these per, a lot of these programs no wouldn't way. be there. They might no they way. might take Washington, they might take Oregon. Um, Indiana, Indiana, no way. So, yeah. so it's, I mean, there's rumors about Virginia and North Carolina and these ACC programs that I don't think are doing TV numbers like that. So is the ACC going to make as much money from football TV revenue as the big 10? No, there's, there's no way it's going to happen. The ACC does not have the premier programs in football that the big 10 has. Does that mean that the ACC is done as a conference? I don't know. I don't think so. I think there are enough ACC schools that are going to get left out of this round of conference realignment that the conference might still exist. And and we've talked about this plenty before. The question for me is, can the ACC still have enough money that its basketball programs, which is really what we're what we're here to talk about, can can continue to stay afloat and, and can continue to build and be successful? I'd argue that, yes, Um even if the ACC loses a couple of marquee football programs, there's still some money left there. I think downstream of that, what will happen is that ACC schools, Duke included, are going to have to make tough decisions about what other programs they keep around. And, and it's going to be a bummer, right? Duke has invested a ton uh, in in other athletics programs, and they might have to realize they have to cut some of those things because that's ultimately where a lot of the football money goes it does go back into the football program it does go back into building new practice facilities it goes into making upgrades to the stadium etc but it also funds the baseball team and the lacrosse teams and the softball team and the soccer and the swimming and the golf and the wrestling and the volleyball and on and on and on these are sports that I am sure you would love to say Duke is great at. And I am also sure that 99% of our listeners have never watched Duke play on TV. So I think the other thing about conference realignment is, and I don't know the answer to this question. Maybe one of you two do. Does the contract for the big 10 expand if they do take on another team? Because if it doesn't, yeah, there are escalators in it. Okay. To to get bigger. But the, the thing is the, the networks are not going to pay more on average per team for a team that doesn't bring in more than average eyeballs. So if North Carolina is not better than half the current big 10 at bringing in TV viewers, the North Carolina is not getting added to the conference. Rutgers is lucky that they're in the big 10. Now Uh, Mm -hmm. Rutgers is lucky that they joined the big 10 when it mattered what media market you were in, because that is almost completely irrelevant today. The the one th- question that I do have then is, right, if there is an escalator, then I think, as you just mentioned, Sam, in the ACC, there is very few teams that are going to really push that needle. There obviously is the still the big domino out there, and that's Notre Dame. And with NBC involved in this deal, that is what gives me pause about, NB- in, about Notre Dame finally joining a conference, but in essence having to leave the ACC to do it. So, Sam, I'm not sure you noticed it, but you hit on the real major question in all this. And I won't be shocked. I don't know when this happens. Maybe it's, you know, two or three years, maybe it's five, seven, 10 years at some point, Michigan and Ohio state and Oklahoma and Texas and USC and Notre Dame and Georgia and Alabama. And a few other schools are going to go. Why, why are, why are we giving an equal share to Rutgers 
and Missouri and Indiana and what, Vanderbilt why? and Northwestern and, and, and Vanderbilt and, and Mississippi, Mississippi State. State. Why, why are we giving an equal share to them? Let's 16 of us or 20 of us or so. Let's go form our own thing. And we'll probably make double what we're making now. Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, or LSU, Texas. Or they pull yeah. or they pull a La Liga. Oklahoma. Or yeah. they pull a La Liga where they I think first they would do is they'd go to the conferences and go, okay, if you want us to stay, here's how it's gonna be. We're gonna skew the payments in our favor. The teams that are bringing in the numbers, the teams that are bringing the ratings, the teams that are bringing the in the in the dollars, we get more bigger piece of the pie than Donald the Rutgers. Of why do you have to call that the La Liga situation? That's the Texas situation. That's what Texas I mean, was getting from the big 12 for so long. Yep. And then what did Texas do to the big 12? They, they left. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. We obviously will keep talking about this. This is a topic that if it goes away, it probably means we don't have to do this show anymore. So for Jason Evans and for Donald wine, I'm Sam Klein. This has been episode 439 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in to see if SLS makes it to the moon on Monday. I will be watching. Who knows which way I'll be rooting for that sort of... No, I hope it succeeds. That would be that'd be a real bummer if, if that thing burned up in space. But we'll talk lot, to you A lot again. of money. If it, if it doesn't make it, that's a lot of money it's wasted. so <laughs> much money. If you want to just get so angry that your government has just been pouring money down the drain google this program uh, if you're if you're unaware of it and if it hasn't crossed your your ear holes yet uh or, or your eyeballs yet this week read about it episode 439 we'll be back again soon duke band take us home